1: Welcome to Locked on Bucks, I'm Eric Name, and joining me as always is my very good friend Frank Madden. Frank, we are a day, I guess this will be the day of a game, so we have a game to preview. Also, I mentioned on yesterday's podcast that we were going to talk a little bit about Kevin Lowe and Kevin Arnovitz's conversation on the Low post from Friday, so I mean, I assigned it for homework, so hopefully everyone went out and actually listened to it so they have some idea what we're talking about but if not i don't think you're really going to get lost we're going to talk uh very generally about a number of the things that they talked about uh so yeah we kind of have uh i don't want to say a busy schedule but we have enough to talk about tonight so uh how are you doing you you ready to get into this
0: yeah um You know, uh, I'm excited to see, again, I think another, you know, we always say measuring stick game um, tomorrow for the Bucs or tonight when people are listening to this against the Thunder. First chance for me to really see the Thunder, uh, the new look Thunder, um, the Carmelo Anthony shooting all the shots and Russell Westbrook (laughs) taking a back seat, uh, uh, The Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, But again, Thunder probably a a good team to kind of see how the bucks stack up and again uh, they come back home and then they have to go on the road for for a few games including uh was the trip to san antonio and i think they have at least one more difficult one in there so um you know again not that you say they absolutely should win a home game against the oklahoma city thunder it's you know probably a toss-up type game but um you know especially going out on a road trip it's uh Never a bad time to uh, to to rack up a, a win and and you know get again sort of prove that uh, that you can hang with with some of these good teams.
1: Yeah, and uh, it will be an NBA TV game. Uh, strange and strangely enough, uh, that road trip, like you said, has some good teams. So. The Bucks are on NBA TV uh, here on Tuesday against Oklahoma City, then at Charlotte, at Detroit, and then next Tuesday, they are at Cleveland on NBA TV, and then the following Friday at San Antonio on ESPN. So uh, three national TV games here in uh, about 10 days. So uh, exciting times to be a Bucks fan. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the low post. Obviously, uh, it, there's a number of podcasts I try to listen to as regularly as possible. I think the one... that I am best at uh, and the one that I've as religious as possible in listening to is the low post. So uh, it was kind of exciting on Friday to have an entire low post and especially one with Kevin Arnovitz, that was entirely about the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, so I know there's a couple things we want to get into. Was there anything that shocked, surprised you in that conversation, Frank, or do we want to try to break that down into topics here?
0: No, I mean, I think probably the one that, you know, people were most curious, I, I imagine, you know, if, if our, uh, the Bucs Twitter dialogue is is any indication, which, um, you know, m- maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But, uh, you know, I think the most interesting is always the discussion around uh, the Bucks defense. And, yep. uh, you know, we kind of had a sneak preview of the content in, in the sense that Kevin Arnovitz did have a piece that he wrote, uh, what was it, a week earlier or so, uh, on the Bucs. And um, I was surprised. It was generally very... It, it was interesting because it really got into, um, and as one of one of the rep- references you made on last night's podcast about throwing fastballs, defensive allowing fastballs defensively, um, it got into a lot of the sort of lingo and philosophy of the Bucks, in particular defensively, um, and it it probably came off like very, um, you know, kind of optimistic. I would say on the Bucks' ability to to kind of pull that off. I mean, I think the the kind of trajectory, you know, the the narrative arc, I'd say, of the story was, um, you know, it's talked a lot about the Bucks' length and and how they've approached that uh, from the draft and kind of you know assembled this this team of players who tend to be long and um, you know that kind of dovetails with what they try to do defensively. Um, and so I'm sure a lot of people are probably surprised because Zach Lowe's done this as well. I mean, he's he's I think he specifically referenced um, Bucks Twitter and and sort of the you know, ongoing. I don't even know if I want to say debate, but just the, you know, the the re- recurring theme of the Bucks defense and and how it's you know not giving the Bucks the best chance of success and and all this stuff that you know we talk about a lot. So it was interesting, and I thought it was most interesting that they didn't really. They kind of came off agnostic on on the topic of the Bucks defense, which I'm sure um, many people thirsty for for Jason Kidd's blood would have preferred to hear something a bit more um you know a bit more one you know i don't want to say one-sided because but you know them to kind of follow through on the challenges of 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 you know pulling off that scheme and um it was interesting because they talked a fair bit about Mike Budenholzer who uh, you know Atlanta has also had a a defense that has been oftentimes very aggressive and has been very susceptible to giving up corner threes and um, it, it's interesting. I, I don't know. I've never asked any of the Hawks like media guys like whether there's sort of similar stuff in in the Hawks' uh, blogosphere, Twitter sphere about their defense because um, I think they gave up more threes than the Bucks last year. They were second to the Bucks in corner threes allowed, um, but. I would guess there wasn't because the Bucs actually, in the at least the last couple of years, have pulled off their defense. It's it's worked in the terms of then their defensive rating has been good. They've done a much better job at limiting shots at the basket. So even though they've been susceptible to to th- th- corner threes and some of these other you know issues that the Bucks have, um, they've limited shots in the paint, which the Bucks have have struggled much more to do. So I don't know. It's kind of interesting, um, and I think it's interesting how you know oftentimes this debate sort of just gets distilled down to like corner threes um but as we saw last year after the all-star break you know it, it is a, a defense as an ecosystem you know and and you can you know and and i think i've t- I've talked a lot about the whack-a-mole problem and i think actually Kevin our used that yeah used that term um and we've seen it this year uh and and last year second half last season as well where they've cut down a lot of the the shots that people are used to complaining about the corner threes although we did see a bunch of them in atlanta but overall the bucks corner threes are down a fair bit this year but um you know still it's not like now they're suddenly a you know elite defense they still have challenges and um they still give up a, a lot of shots uh, in the pain and they've defended the paint pretty well but you know you give up a lot of shots there that's bad because those are those are very high percentage shots so i don't know i thought that was all just kind of Kind of interesting, um, and they I thought that was interesting how they had just kind of a general discussion about how defenses, you know, defensive philosophies don't necessarily age well. Um, and and you know, what is in vogue now was not in vogue five years ago. And, um, you know, we we kind of you can kind of see it right. I mean, you can see Steve Clifford's defense, um, you know, Tom Thibodeau's defense, probably the, the most prominent example. Um, guys, that you think of like, oh, they have these great defensive systems and it's, you know, they'll always figure out how to get their teams to play defense. And, um, you know, whether it's teams adapting to those specific systems or just those systems, you know, just, I don't know something about the way that, you know, the league is evolving with so many three point shooting and passing and all this other stuff. Um, what works now doesn't necessarily work a couple of years from now, but um, I don't know. We'll see. Cause certainly the bucks, you could make that argument for the bucks that, well, they succeeded three years ago with this defense, but, it is not the same league anymore. And and Mm -hmm. so you can't really rely on that necessarily to, to make a case for why you should keep doing it. So I don't know. I thought that was all kind of interesting um, because it gets to, you know, kind of, it probably was unsatisfying to many people who are hoping that they would, you know, come out and really say something strong one way or the other. But um, it's always interesting to hear, you know, smart people who've actually looked at this and, actually follow the Bucs and you know talk to people and all that like, to see kind of what how, how they judge it.
1: Yeah, I thought for sure that listening to it, Bucks fans would be probably disappointed because like you said, I think in Milwaukee, it's probably reached, actually I shouldn't say probably, I, I think Bucks fans have reached a point where they're just tired of the scheme. They don't want to see it anymore. Uh, they don't think it works and they don't think it'll ever work and uh, it needs to go. So uh, to hear so much hope and optimism around it was i think maybe a little bit surprising um just because those two guys know the league so well and i guess what was interesting to me was just as they mentioned conversations they've had with other uh coaches in the league that hey you know what uh the only way we're going to get guys to play defensively is if we send them over this screen. And maybe that's not good for our personnel and maybe we have no business running a scheme like that. But if we just decide to lay back, if we decide not to be as aggressive, our guys won't play defense, they'll fall asleep. They won't be engaged on that end of the floor and we need them to be engaged on that end of the floor so maybe we'll take a sacrifice and run a defense that we're not particularly good at which to me is like it didn't quite add up because yeah uh, that was but, weird <laughs> uh, like i can't imagine ever thinking like oh this defense is bad for us let's run it but again like zach lowe and kevin arnovitz are as well plugged in in the league is anyone and not just with sources and knowing trades and stuff like those guys are i think two of the guys i probably trust most to know what coaches what organizations are thinking about from an x's and o's standpoint and just listening to it i was like what everything i have been have been able to learn about the NBA is okay. You have to do what fits you best. You have to create a scheme that makes sense. You can't give away points. You can't. You have to do everything you can to maximize your chance of victory. And just hearing that kind of, uh, I will say, threw me off. <laughs> I was, I, I was not at all ready for that. And I, I guess part of me would think, okay, that might color the way that you viewed this scheme. Then, if that is the the impression they've gotten from people around the league, then I guess I could see why they may be a little bit more hopeful or maybe a little bit more willing to to think about this scheme in the long term even if it does have all of these very noticeable warts. Um, so I, I don't know I, it, it was it was a conversation that I found fascinating because it kind of flew in the face of most of the things I normally think about when it comes to nba basketball
0: it, it, interesting it reminded me of um another person who was on the low post recently ben falk um who has a great website maybe you've seen us tweet about it. i'm not sure how much we've talked about it. i think we've mentioned it on yeah. this podcast um cleaning um ben just launched uh, a subscription version of the site it has some really good and and new um stats pages for both teams and players that i find like very yeah. interesting um he he's got i think the most interesting thing is he he has like of, tons of stats like things like what we're discussing like the frequency of of teams allowing shots in certain parts of uh of the court and players and you know advanced metrics things like that and then i think the real kind of cool part is that um he then also shows sort of like percentile rankings okay. so you know you can look at a player's you know assist rate or something like that and it's like what the hell does that mean right like is that good is that bad most people don't have a good sense for you know what some of these more random stats mean and um on ben's site he has it set up so that It shows like their percentile ranking uh, relative to their position, which is a great way probably to think about it. You go to Giannis's page, you see a lot of 100s right now because he is (laughs) the absolute best at uh, at a number of categories. But um, but it is interesting, and for teams, it shows it in terms of league ranking. And um, you know, it's interesting to look at the Bucks and um, you know certain certain categories go back you know that their struggles whether it is um you know some of the stuff allowing stuff at the rim or you know frequency of shots at the rim frequency of shots from corners um defensive rebounding like a lot of these things it's like it's it's weird because it has been an issue throughout the jason Kidd era and then in many cases some of these things have been an issue going back two three years even before that um and and which is strange right because nobody from those teams is still left on the, you know, around, but you see <laughs> yeah. this, this like consistent drum beat of like near dead last and, you know, limiting shots, uh, from corners or at the rim or, you know, defensive rebounding, things like that. So, um, so it's a great site cleaningtheglass. It's, um, you can get an annual subscription to it. I think it's, if you're a big hoops junkie, I think it's really worth it. Um, I'll probably be, uh, trying to you know, I'll probably reference stuff from there for a fair bit, um, both on the podcast and and on Twitter. Uh, and it's free for the next, I think, another week. Maybe it's been free for the first couple weeks of the season, so I'm not sure how long that lasts. But um, I think he's got an offer for five bucks a month for a year. Um, and and again, if you're a big stat junkie, check it out. So so yeah. But Ben, um, to kind of kind of bury the lead there, Ben uh, wrote about the Bucks' defense and and specifically about um, you know defenses and how they attack. Uh, screens defensively in particular. And he had a great piece that sort of makes the X's and O's of, of defensive schemes very digestible. And I think he wrote it in April. And I'll, I'll tweet out the link after we're done here. But, um, you know, again, if you missed it, you know, we tweeted it out back then. If you did miss it, you know, and you're interested in this stuff, do check it out because it is very interesting at kind of laying out. Um, you know the philosophical reasons for different types of defensive approaches, and you know certainly with the with the Bucks approach. I mean, he doesn't come out and say like the Bucks are, you know, fighting a losing battle or killing themselves, whatever. But he leaves many many breadcrumbs out there that would certainly suggest that this is a you know a difficult scheme, and some of the same stuff that we heard Zach and Kevin talk about that you have to really be on point. Your rotations have to be right you you have to be on a string um you know it's not a scheme that is very forgiving um although certainly having you know Giannis type guys makes things a bit a lot more you always have more (laughs) forgiveness when you have got athletes like that but um but Ben kind of pointed out some of those things and um also pointed out you know that that questions uh maybe it's um it's not as as helpful um, in like the playoffs as you know in in certain situations. Certainly, you know th- th- there there are a number of arguments why you might not want to play a defense like this and why a lot of teams don't play a defense like this, right? And again, it's it's interesting because I think a lot of times in in Bucks Twitter, you know, we we kind of view the Bucks as like this complete one off. And um, you know, I think Zach mentioned it as well. It's not like the Bucks are the only team to use like some of these principles, like, you know, flooding the strong side or whatever. I mean, ironically, some of, you know, the ideas of 2.9 and things like that, I mean, that stuff goes back to, like, the fibs defenses, which... Yep actually were very good at forcing mid-range shots and limiting corner threes because they did other things differently like they played you know pick and roll differently and things like that so it, it's interesting how like you have sort of these different kind of core ingredients to like how a team defends and you know ben's piece um i thought did a great job of kind of outlining especially how the pick and roll plays into that and um obviously in the modern nba so much of what uh, we see happening on the court uh begins with a pick and roll and, and how you defend that and whether you execute your defense well or or not well so I I would say definitely worth reading and you know again whether you feel really strongly about this stuff or not um it's it's a helpful I think lens to to better understand some of the you know dynamics like why do the Bucks do this right it's not just because they want to piss off Bucks Twitter um but uh but interesting to to kind of see it through that lens and um you know again I, I was just looking at the Hawks page you know last year the Hawks were fourth in defensive rating so do you think people were complaining about the Hawks giving up too many corner threes last year? No, because they were they it worked. Right? Yep. Like they they prevented teams from scoring points. And I, I mean, I think fundamentally, you know, that's the question for for the Bucks because we know the Bucks are not going to just you know totally change their scheme or something like that. They can always, I think, tweak stuff that might help around the edges, be maybe a little less aggressive in certain scenarios as we've talked about. You know, maybe double S in the post, things like that. But um, you know, fundamentally, the question is. Uh, you know, if Jason Kidd is has a defense that finishes, you know, 22nd or something again this year, then that p- piles a huge amount of pressure on it on them. And and that's going to be a huge question mark that, you know, again, the Bucks are absolutely underachieving because they're not playing defense the way they should. And as we discussed yesterday with Greg Monroe hurt there's no reason this team should not be able to defend well. So um, I think it's going to be just, you know, one of those things that's going to be really interesting to watch. You know, we'll probably talk a lot about um, as we have corner three is loud, where the numbers are there. Um, I think the bucks last I checked were like at 6.7 per game last year. They were at 8.7 per game. Um, that was kind of pushed up by that Hawks game where, where they gave up a bunch of them. So um, we'll look at that, but also, you know, stuff like point paint points, right? It's like, You know, you don't, you don't win by, by stopping corner threes, you win by kind of stopping, you know, everything enough to (laughs) reduce the amount of points the other team scores. So um, we'll obviously be focused on that throughout the season. And, um, you know, certainly an Oklahoma City team coming in tomorrow that uh, will, will be a test on both ends.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it, it was interesting, I guess, to hear just kind of how, how so often since I think we look at this team so so closely and we dissect it to such an insane degree that uh, i know both of us are league pass junkies and end up watching a bunch of basketball but sometimes we don't we don't kind of see how much the things that the bucks are doing are also being done elsewhere um and i think that can happen a lot too with bucks fans that oh surely this the Bucks are the only team that's giving up this at a certain level or being this aggressive or doing all these different things. And there's kind of overlap throughout all of the league. Um, so, so I thought that was interesting. It's an interesting conversation and one that I think we have and one that I was surprised was as optimistic uh, from those two. One other thing I wanted to touch on, uh, I, I obviously like to use the word fascinating quite a bit, and I always mention how fascinated I am by the Jabari Parker situation. I was happy to hear that both Kevin and Zach thought that was one of the more interesting kind of storylines in the entire league because I do think, one, obviously, Bucs-centric. It's super, super interesting and is going to play a huge role, but for them to say league-wide that that's one of the more interesting things, I thought that, that kind of added up. This, this is a huge question for this Bucks team as they try to figure out exactly how they build around Giannis.
0: Yeah, we'll see. And I, I think, um, you know, listening to, to the conversation, it was interesting, you know, uh, offensively, it was interesting to, to hear Kevin Hart back on the term provisional, which he used to describe uh, the Bucks' offense last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and he clarified he did not necessarily mean it as an insult. Um, but I think that's going to be an interesting thing. You know, they, they talked about, you know, just putting four shooters around Giannis. And um, I, I think certainly that that's sort of the obvious thing to do, um, and I don't know, we'll see kind of how things move forward. You know, I mean, even last year, um, you know, I think interesting that Westbrook is coming to town on Tuesday because obviously Westbrook from a usage standpoint had to be a, well, I don't want to say had to be, he was a one man wrecking (laughs) crew last year. Uh, he chose to be a one man wrecking crew to a large extent. And Giannis, um, to some extent now is that guy this year who is sort of by default, um, just, You know, and again, I mean, I think Giannis is um, certainly much more efficient than Russ was last year. Russ wasn't very, you know, I think he was average or slightly below average efficiency. So um, I don't want to lump Giannis in there, but uh, but it will be interesting to see just sort of how, how these things kind of push and pull and um you know to see Westbrook not shooting nearly as many shots this year and probably Carmelo Anthony shooting too many um but but yeah how the Bucks kind of build around uh around Giannis obviously a, a major talking point and um I thought the conversation about Fawn was interesting yep. um also I still find it funny that um I find it funny how many uh national media folks are going with the McCurr uh pronunciation which um you know based on howard beck's reporting is is like the original proper some variant of that something like that is is correct mm-hmm. but i don't know like i I've, I've i've you know we've talked a lot about pronunciations on this podcast we um, do
1: if there's one corner we have marketed like, yeah. that's that's our corner
0: and so i feel a little bit weird you know not going with thon's like original like oh this is the you know the the way it's pronounced in See, his home you language should,
1: but because i've talked to a couple members of Bucks PR. Like I brought it up at the start of this year. Uh we were just hanging out at practice one day waiting for I think waiting for Jason. Uh and I was like, Hey, I was just thinking about this. Like are we pronouncing Thon's name right? And uh they were like, Well well, yes. And I was like, okay, <laughs> uh that didn't sound all that confident and i was like because howard beck wrote that thing and they're like well yeah howard was right that is like the the pronunciation but thon doesn't really want to pronounce that way like he wants it to be maker uh and like that's just going to be how people should do it and i like pushed a little bit further i was like is that just thon being like too nice of a person like just thinking that this will please people that it's maker instead of mccur or yeah i think that was it uh and he was like no like he, he wants it to be maker i like, that just like makes more sense for everyone like no one has to look at it and try to figure out how to pronounce it or anything like maker is is how he wants it pronounced, and i was like okay fair enough like i'd I tell people to pronounce my name name maybe other people would say that you should pronounce it a little bit more German but I say name so that that's fine like I understand that so okay maker it is so I I (laughs) think we're fine
0: and and I and I feel like maker also is just such a good name for a basketball player so it kind of makes sense yeah and that's what my my tiebreaker is always what does the Bucks media guide say right and um, so long as, uh, you know, with, with Giannis, obviously, he's got such a different situation because he had, you know, an original pronunciation, Adetokumbo, which is still what, you know, Jim Pashki uses. It's still what Ted Davis uses. It's still what the PA guy at the arena uses. It's still what you'll find in the um, Bucks media guide. But you can tell. I don't think Giannis actually cares. And I feel I, I've I've I think I've in the last year, I think I did see him once. Like pronounce it more uh, phonetically, like mm-hmm. um which is kind of like the Greekified version or whatever it is. So I, I, don't like on one level, I don't really care. Like I'm not gonna go around correcting people if they say Um but I'm just, just still gonna. I feel like if you're a real Bucks OG, you say "adetekumbo" because you know it's the media guide way. And um, <laughs> I think, I think on Twitter, um, I think um, uh, the B-ball breakdown, uh, you know, Coach Nick, mm-hmm. that guy. Um, he, he, I think he had some comment. and I don't think I follow him, but um, somebody and, and for, I, it was somebody I know I follow on Bucks Twitter who I interact with all the time, and I forget who it was. Apologies, um, but he made some comment. He's like, "It's weird. I'm watching the game, and the Bucks p the Bucks color guy can't pronounce a Adedeckumbo right." And I was like, "I feel like." The, the Coach Nick you probably just it's you not being able to yeah. understand how to pronounce his last name and so uh, somebody else tweeted at him and then I just took a screenshot of the Bucks Media Guide pronunciation tweeted at him and then I looked later and um, he had deleted the tweet so um, I, you know when in doubt trust that you know the local TV guys <laughs> probably know how to pronounce yeah. pronounce the guy's name. I know, I know Jim Paschke did like I think for a game or two he did talk about Thon's last name and like McCare, maybe McCare was like the, the mm-hmm. official, the, like the original way of pronouncing it and I think he tried it but um, I think he's now back to, to Thon. and I think it's mainly because like Hired, Beck and Zach and all those guys are like buddies so they kind of latched on to that story and kind of went with it um, and it's almost like we're are trying to be like too authentic and it's just like Thon, like no it, it's fine, <laughs> like, don't worry about it so. yeah it so anyway, so we will say Maker and that's why and if Thon ever decides that he wants it to be McCurr or McCare or whatever, then we'll happily switch. But I think Thon Maker is a pretty badass name as is.
1: I would agree. Uh anything else you thought was interesting? I know they touched on Blood So a little bit, but there was no there was no real, I guess, lean about whether or not the Bucks would make a deal, not make a deal. I think pretty much we're going to remain in the spot where if the Bucks get them for cheap, I think everyone would kind of agree that that's, that's a, it's a fine idea. Um, but if not, I don't think anyone is really trying to uh, beat down the sun's door to get Eric Bledsoe. So I think that was about that. Uh,
0: go ahead. Yeah. I mean like they, they certainly were not camp. I think they were kind of aligned with, with us. And I think most of the people, you know, that, that we're aware of in in Bucks Nation, who would not trade Malcolm Brogdon for for Eric Bledsoe, and um, and again, I think you know, I think like even watching kind of early in the season, you know, you, you just see, especially when Giannis is not in the game, and maybe it's less uh, obvious when with Greg Monroe now out for a little bit, but um, you know, it's funny because because and and Kevin's story, you know, again, kind of like just pounded the whole like length and athleticism and that whole you know storyline, mm-hmm. but I don't know, I feel like that is pretty overplayed in, in a lot of ways with the Bucs like you know you think about um like Giannis is, is sort of this um avatar for length and athleticism just in the NBA more broadly so it kind of like you want to you want that to be the storyline oh the Bucks, you know drafted Giannis because he was like this and then they drafted a bunch of other guys because they're like this but as much as they've you know drafted other guys who are long or they've drafted other guys who are athletic I mean the Bucks still trot out tons of lineups that don't really have <laughs> anybody who's, who's yeah. like, you know, ath- particularly athletic. I mean, when Chris Middleton's on the court and certainly when he was on a court with like, you know, Greg Monroe and, you know, if Giannis wasn't out there, a lot of times you'd have, there's a Teletovic out there and, yeah. you know, Tony Snell's pretty long and athletic for a two, but he's not like inflicting his will on the game through his athleticism per se. Mm-hmm. Um, and even Malcolm, you know, is long, um, and Delhi is is, you know, kind of tall for a point guard, but um, you know, Delhi in particular is is anything but athletic. So I, I think and that's kind of one of the big arguments for me for Bledsoe is he actually is athletic, maybe not like super long, but he is athletic in a way that is uncommon at the point guard spot. And you know, especially if you could figure out a way to turn your point guard rotation from, you know, Delhi and Brogdon to Bledsoe and Brogdon.
1: That actually, nice. yeah. yeah
0: that actually makes a big difference cuz that actually is injecting a lot of athleticism um when you're replacing a guy who plays a lot of minutes who you know plays with zero athleticism on the offensive side and and really struggles to you know at, at times even look like an NBA player when it comes to athleticism. So um, anyway, I, I thought, you know, no shockers. Yeah, I would agree. No shockers on the kind of Bledsoe discussion. But, um, you know, definitely worth a listen. And um, again, check out, you know, Kevin's piece. Um, I think there's some interesting background on, you know, the Bucks talking about not allowing fastballs on defense, trying to get people to throw over top. And, you know, some of these ideas that, you know, are not maybe surprising, but interesting to kind of just see the lingo. was—that's um, what That was the big thing for me is, like, obviously we all know these things. Like,
1: I wrote last year about how they push – People deeper into the shot clock than any other team since Kid has been here. Like we understand and grasp that the general idea is like, okay, make teams work as hard as possible for the basket. And okay, maybe that does mean you give up some shots, but you want them to really feel that you're there. They, you want them to understand your length, and you want them to toss passes up over the top so that you have more time to recover to those danger areas. So like, I think we understood all of that. But uh, to me, the interesting part was like how they define those things and how like you said like fastballs and uh the fa- like that they grade them a certain way and that they're worried about pass hang time and stuff like that like all of that was very interesting to me that it was spelled out in the way that it was spelled out so yes that that would be why i would suggest reading it cuz i think it whether or not you like it and you probably don't just kind of getting more details (laughs) about the terminology and what exactly they're after um i thought was really interesting
0: yeah and and keep in mind too right i mean this was a piece that kevin came to milwaukee he he sat with people he put in the time right he's not just you know sitting looking at some tape and then you know writing it from afar so um you know that brings with it insight but like is is Kevin going to come to Milwaukee, get all this access, and then take a flamethrower to the Bucks' <laughs> defense? Like, I, I mean, no. you know, like let's be like human beings here for a moment and Correct. just think rationally about this. Like, I'm I'm not saying that Kevin is, you know, in anybody's pocket or something like that. I mean, Kevin's like one of the most intellectually honest and forthcoming people you're going to find in sort of the basketball internet. Yeah. Um, but you know, he's also a pretty contemplative guy, and you know that that really wouldn't be his style, right? I mean, I think yeah. he likes to consider these things and, and, and whatever. And, uh, you know, it was interesting too. I think there was some, there were like at least one or two quotes from Sean Sweeney in there too, right? Yep. which, is is tells you you know that this was not just some like thing he just showed up for unannounced and like you know did like got some random quotes and as you know i don't know if you saw gary wolf complaining like a couple weeks ago about like jason Kidd refusing to grant frank johnson an interview request to him frank mm-hmm. johnson being one of the new assistants and you know you know this because you've been confirming the team for a while the but i mean there's a reason you never hear sean sweeney or any of the bucks assistants you know quotes being quoted on anything it's because it's not like Jason Kidd goes around shooting this down. It's that the Bucks just as a, as a matter of priority, and this is common for, I think, I don't know if all NBA teams is, but most NBA teams, they just don't let their assistants talk to the media because, yeah. again, they have the head coach to do that, and everybody else just, I mean, these guys probably don't want to do it any, anyway. Um, and so I thought it was interesting because, you know, again, it, it, it is strange if you see a, an assistant coach. Being quoted in the media, and um, and I thought it was interesting that Sean Sweeney was quoted, and I think that just goes to show. I mean, this was again something that was thought through very carefully, and and they obviously put time into making sure that um, you know they got they talked to everybody they could, and yeah. and obviously um, Kevin Kevin did a very thorough job, and even if you don't agree with you know conclusions, and not not that it's like. Coming to some like massive conclusion that the Bucks defense is correct. It'll and, work.
1: Yeah, it'll work. You know, yeah.
0: but um, but it is uh, an interesting one, and you know, worth reading regardless of 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 how emotionally you feel about the Milwaukee Bucks defense, since it is obviously <laughs> something that inspires very strong emotions.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I, I think you can see that there there was a certain amount of trust given to Kevin uh, to come in and, like you said, not take a flamethrower or anything, but to as accurately as possible kind of break down um what he was seeing and then hopefully have some insight into why they may be doing what they're doing and kind of all of that so um the fact that you see sean sweeney and quoted in the piece i guess, i think that means something about the level of trust that they were they were giving to kevin arnovitz and allowing him to write about this defense so yeah uh go out and check it out it's a great piece great podcast all of it is all very good so go and check all of that out uh to tonight's game that's a weird thing to say but uh looking at this thunder team they thus far in the season they're three and three uh they have a Defensive rating, that's third in the league. Offensive rating, 11th in the league, according to basketball reference. And obviously, uh, that defensive rating gets helped out quite a bit in the, in the early su- season by uh, giving up 69 points to the Bulls, uh, which is nice. And then also giving up 84 points to the Knicks in the first game of the season. So you have two games in there that really help bring that down. Um, so maybe they're not quite there defensively, but uh, this is a team that uh, to me is, is super interesting this year because you do have some solid defensive players in Paul George and Roberson. Uh, so you have two guys that you can really trust defensively, maybe a guy in Carmelo Anthony that you don't trust so much defensively, but then you have uh, Steven Adams who you trust. And I, I don't know, they're just a, a strange combination of players um, and they're, they're obviously trying to kind of figure everything out to see, uh, that Carmel Anthony is the team leader in shots per game at 18.8 field goal attempts. Paul George is second at 16.8 and Russell Westbrook is third at 16. Just strange that after, after seeing Westbrook on his own and taking all the shots and doing everything, like, it is just kind of weird to see him take, a. A more complimentary role and obviously still twelve assists a game, uh, just short of a triple double and nine point eight rebounds per game. So he's still doing ridiculous things just to see that usage come back down. And I don't know, they're they're strange, weird, interesting, confusing, fun, not fun team. I I don't know. I, uh, I again, like you said, I don't. I haven't had a chance to watch all of the games. I got to watch a little of them, but uh, last, t- I guess tomorrow or today, uh, this game against the Bucks is going to be my first real, like, long, detailed look at them.
0: Yeah, and I mean, certainly as a Bucks fan, I'm hoping that uh, that Carmelo Anthony continues to shoot lots of shots um, because I'd rather have him shooting than westbrook or uh or or paul george um but you know we'll see i mean and again they have a really nice point differential right now in part because of obviously um that especially that one massive blowout uh and and we'll see right i mean you know again we're still in that small sample theater uh part of the season um but uh but yeah it's interesting i mean i I thought the most interesting thing was that Stephen Adams is averaging, I think, fourteen points a game right now, and he's a guy that, especially after that uh, Golden State series where yes. you know they had a chance to close him out, you know, he was so good all throughout those playoffs. As, I, as I just,
1: adore Stephen Adams' game.
0: Yeah, I mean, he first off, he's as like a, his personality is just so fun. Like yep. he doesn't take himself too seriously. He has just some great quotes. You know, like if you ever need to lose yourself in a YouTube you know click click hole or whatever just start Google like Steven Adams interview and just kind of go from there and you can probably kill you know an hour just watching yeah. him kind of say random funny stuff um, but uh, but you know aside from that I mean you know he's so strong defensively um, he moves well enough and you know again like he doesn't grab many rebounds because he's not allowed to because he has to let russell westbrook get defensive rebounds so he can get his triple doubles um <laughs> i wish I, I wish i was joking like some of the some of the stats um i think i think actually ben falk on on his site had like defensive rebound rates off of free throws yeah, he it's actually bad. has that stat. really and, bad. and what did it, it it went from like westbrook was like first in the league i think among point guards he was like at like 20 percent, and then it jumped to like 60 yeah. percent or something like that last was, year i think like,
1: 62 maybe it, yeah, yeah it was insane
0: yeah, like literally, they're the the Oklahoma City Bigs were told just box out and do not go for the ball because Russell's going to come and get it off a of free throw misses. Um, like I said last
1: year, that's kind of endearing, but also I kind of hate it. I don't know how to feel yeah.
0: about it. Yeah, and so I think the you know the thing with Adams, the fact that he's now scoring, and, and again, I haven't seen enough to tell you like what exactly is going on, but he just stays in his lane so well, and he's a really good role man obviously he's really strong and you know again as much as you know kind of a big man is is being emphasized in the modern NBA um he's a guy that you know I just I just love as a player love as a guy um and uh I'm you know hopefully he he Maybe is less prominent to, against the Bucks just because he's he's good. Um, but obviously, the, that's the kind of guy as well that you know you feel better about um, maybe having a guy like Carmelo at the four because you know not only do you have Adams in the middle but you also have Paul George and Andre Robertson uh, on the wings and and so even with Carmelo there it seems like you know they they probably have the tools to to be able to hide him pretty well and um you know we'll we'll kind of see what what how that works out in uh, in you know the first person tomorrow when we see it but um I don't know I mean what what do you what do you predict do you think we're going to see um who do you think is going to guard Giannis? I mean, see, do you think gonna I was have...
1: just going to ask that exact same question because I think you could go, and I mean, obviously you could go Paul George. Um, I don't think in the past George has done a no. spectacular no. standout job
0: on Giannis. I think they, I think, I think they've tried to hide Paul George from Giannis in the past, from what I recall. Yeah.
1: So I don't know if it is Paul George. Maybe now that he isn't, he doesn't have to be the number one guy on offense. Maybe you feel a little bit more comfortable about that, but. Maybe it's Roberson, but I don't think he's—I don't think he's big enough, right? Like with the way that you've seen Giannis kind of take care of guys. Maybe he's not. Uh, Pat Pat is a guy that we talked about last year uh, in that playoff series, but he's not playing all that much for them. So I—I I, I think your guess is about as good as mine because I, looking at their roster. Stephen Adams is big enough, but he's not quick enough, and I don't think they want to have him on Giannis. So they got to find someone else in there, and I'm not sure who who you would really think of of being that guy.
0: I mean i I would guess it ends up being Robertson, just because he is their most versatile defender, and you know he's a guy that um, that. It, it, You know, again, even though he's six, seven, he's long, but he's, you know, he's, you think of him as more of a wing defender, maybe a guy who can also even defend some smaller guys. I mean, he always does about as good a job as you can on, on James Harden. Um, so from a size and strength standpoint, it's, you know, obviously there is a mismatch potential there. Uh, and especially kind of new Giannis, like I'm not saying that he's going to stop him, but at a minimum, like, you know, just think about it. Paul George, historically, we know Paul George, you know, wussed out of playing power forward when he was in Indiana. Like he doesn't, you know, he's a great defender, but he doesn't want to defend really big dudes. Yep. Um, so I think Paul George is not going to do that. I think George probably takes Middleton. Um, and I think, you know, yeah, you could put Carmelo on Giannis, but I just think, you know, again, from a practical standpoint, they probably would say, let's, let's, you know, throw Robertson because that's what he gets paid to do is to be the sacrificial lamb who, you know, goes and, and gets his ass beat up but but comes out still, you know, playing pretty well against most guys defensively. So um, – and the other advantage there too is I, I have to think Giannis will, will guard – quote unquote guard Robertson and just basically freelance off him anyway um so at a minimum like if they might guard against each other uh it's probably easier for Andre Robertson too just because he doesn't have to um you know you don't have cross matches you don't have to you know it's easier to kind of find Giannis in transition although let's be honest like you know it's always a team effort (laughs) trying to to stop Giannis in transition so I don't know I mean that would leave Carmelo to guard Tony Snell at least to start um and so, you know, we'll kind of see how uh, we'll kind of see how all this stuff shakes out. I'm sure it'll be, you know, fluid as the game goes on, and you'll see switches. And, and obviously, that's one thing. Certainly, the the uh, Thunder can do is, you know, I mean, Carmelo can can try to guard Giannis. It's not like you know he's going to get dunked on every time or something like that. Especially if if Carmelo is is engaged, and you know, I think certainly engaged Carmelo is is a better defender than completely non-engaged. Carmelo and you know Giannis and Carmelo they have they have history going back to Giannis's rookie year in that December what was like December 15th or whenever that game was of his rookie year when his parents were in town for the first time and um, Giannis had a big game starting against the Knicks and got into it a little bit with Carmelo and um, Giannis always raised his game when he had to face Carmelo and um, you know maybe maybe that will kind of flow back the other way a little bit too so um, should be a a fun game to watch and um, I think it'll be interesting to see also the bench as well because last year um, I remember the game in Milwaukee. Samaj Kristen was shockingly good in that Bucks game in Milwaukee. Um, but that has been like a huge Achilles heel. I think they've got Felton now, who you know, again, as much as he's not, you know, a crazy talented guy at this point, um, probably gives them a better chance uh, than, than maybe some of the depth they've had in the past. So um, you know, add that to the fact that you've now got Carmelo and, and Paul George that you can stagger as well. Um, it'll be interesting to see kind of how that uh, how that plays out because certainly a year ago you know, the, the theory was always, you know, just kind of keep it even against the starters when Westbrook's out there. And then, um, you know, you can make your hay against, uh, against their second unit, but certainly that, uh, doesn't seem like quite as promising a plan right now.
1: All right, Frank. Yeah. I'm, I'm just interested to watch this game period. Um, I want to see these three guys kind of work it all out up close and personal and, see what this team looks like in that same way like it does the bench just fall apart so i, I don't know it's going to be fun um it's going to be interesting and like i've been saying for the last week or so i think when you look at this at this bucks team that the question every night going into every single game is how does this team try to cover Giannis? and i think every night you're going to get a different answer some teams are going to try to throw multiple bodies some will Pick one guy. Some will go big. Some will go small. Some will be just right. Uh, Whatever it may be, there's going to be some interesting defenses thrown at Giannis, and I look forward to kind of looking at those really every game. So we'll do that after the game. We'll talk about... Uh, the Bucks and Thunder tomorrow night, and we will have that ready for you guys on Wednesday morning. So uh, that was Frank Men. I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks, and we will talk to you tomorrow.